Hello and welcome to ID the Future. I'm Casey Luskin, broadcasting with Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture in Seattle, Washington. We have on the show with us a newcomer guest to the show. His name is Eric Anderson. He's been involved in the evolution and intelligence design debate for over a decade. In addition to writing a paper for ISCID, that's the International Society for Complexity Information Design, regarding irreducible complexity, he has actively participated in a number of online forums in the debate and for the past year has been a contributing author about intelligent design at the great intelligent design blog, Uncommon com. So quick plug for Uncommon Descent. If you're an ID the Future listener and you've never checked it out, go to UncommonDescent.com and it's a great ID blog, kind of like EvolutionNews.org. It has many participants and many contributors of which Eric is one of the main authors there. Eric's primary focus is analyzing the logical and rhetorical basis of arguments to help people understand the strengths, weaknesses, and underlying assumptions used in the debate over evolution and intelligent design. So, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. Thank you, Casey. It's a pleasure to be here. One of the things that you wanted to talk about was this argument that people will say, well, look, we see improbable events happening all the time. Improbable things happen all the time. Why does that have to be an argument for intelligent design? The fact that something is improbable, that might be just the result of unguided material causes. Why do improbable events have to be a special argument for intelligent design if improbable things happen all the time? And the argument would then be sort of, well, just because something like a bacterial flagellum or our DNA is highly improbable, that does not necessarily mean that that's an argument for intelligent design. So to put this question to you, is it a valid argument or objection to ID that improbable things happen all the time? And how would you respond to that objection as an ID proponent? Sure. This is a very common argument in various incarnations that it comes in. And it really flows from the following thought process. So a critic of design will say, well, the design inference is based in part on a probability analysis. And so if we can show that there are lots of improbable things that occur without design, then that will demonstrate that the design inference is unreliable and we can go ahead and dismiss the design inference and perhaps intelligent design generally. What I've found is that upon closer inspection, if you look at the improbable things happen all the time line of argumentation, rather than refuting the design inference, it really underscores the validity of the approach taken by intelligent design proponents in putting together a careful and solid approach to design detection. And I would say there are really two fundamental problems with the probable things happen all the time line of argumentation. First, critics tend to cite examples that either aren't really improbable or they tend to cite examples that on in closer inspection are inadvertently examples of design, which is actually a more interesting category. I completely agree with you because obviously the objection is understanding that, look, intelligent design is very conservative in the way that it tries to detect design. And if the best explanation is a material cause and we see material causes creating this outcome, then we don't want to go with design as the best explanation. We want to go with material causes. So I think that's a very keen way of putting that. Can you give us an example of what you're talking about, though, with things that in closer inspection turn out to be inadvertent examples of design? Sure. And, and let me set aside for a moment here, just for our listeners, we're not going to go with the rather philosophical discussion about whether anything is improbable, kind of the angels on the head of a pen discussion. That's an interesting topic in its own right, but it's not relevant for this discussion because design proponents certainly don't think that everything is deterministic. 
And the critics putting forth this particular argument are not approaching it from a standpoint that everything's deterministic. They're assuming that there are contingent possibilities. So I just want to set that aside for a minute for our listeners so we don't get stuck on that. But there's two subsets then of this poor examples. The first one would be the subset of things that aren't really that improbable. And we can look at things in our own life that we tend to think might be a little bit improbable, but upon closer inspection aren't. So example, you, know, you go to the grocery store to buy a bunch of food for the upcoming uh, NCAA championship and you walk out of the store and look at your receipt and it's one, two, three, four, five. And you can say, well, that's, that's kind of improbable, but it's really not that improbable. There's a famous paradox in mathematics called the birthday paradox. And the basic idea is you walk in a classroom, uh, maybe it's a biology classroom in high school and say, what are the odds that two people in that room have the same birthday? And our intuition might say, well, that's pretty improbable. But in fact, it's likely if you have a decent sized classroom of students. But more relevant to the current debate are when a proponent of Darwinian theory would bring up an example, say, of a mutation that provides a survival advantage. And it could be something that sounds highly improbable, you know, maybe one in a million, one in a billion kind of odds. And based on our everyday experience, those are pretty impressive odds. But if we look at it in the context of the design inference, it's not even close to what Dembski proposed as the universal probability bound, which is one in 10 to the 150th. And that's a number that's just so far beyond our experience and so hard to get our minds around that the, you know, one in a million, one in a billion kind of odds that we might see with a particular mutation is really a rounding error. And so there are a lot of interesting ways that we can respond to that. You can look at the biology and say, okay, what's the mutation rate and what's the population size? And is there something else going on that might be directing or guiding that particular mutation like we find in the uh, immune system? But from a pure intelligent design standpoint, the real answer to that is, sure, that's fine. Uh, one in a billion odds, that's well within the uh, edge of evolution that Mike Behe has talked about. It doesn't even come close to the kinds of probabilities that we're talking about to detect design. So I have no problem with that as an intelligent design proponent. If somebody says, hey, here's a one in a billion thing that occurred and look, it happened. Sure, that's fine. So you mentioned, Eric, that there's a second fundamental problem with the improbable things happen all the time line of argument. What's that second problem? Yes. Yeah, so let me go back and catch the second subset of the improbable events kind of examples that are given, because there's always an example provided, right, Casey, when someone says the improbable things happen all the time, look at X. One of the really interesting situations that sometimes arises is the critics will put forth an example that sounds really improbable, but on closer inspection is an example of design. One of the most interesting ones I heard was several years ago, there was a prominent design proponent and a prominent critic debating on a radio show. And the critic said, well, look, what are the odds that you and I would both be on this particular show, this particular date, this particular time debating this particular topic? This is wildly improbable. And yet here we are. So obviously the approach to probabilities that looking at for design doesn't work because we know that improbable things happen. And I was driving in my car at the time and thankfully didn't run off the road when I, when I heard this <laughs> example. But if we look back at how, I want to just take a minute, if, how this talk show came about, it gives us some real insight here. Because what happened to get that talk show in place was that at some point, the talk show host, and you host a, a podcast, so you know, made a decision that out of all the thousands of topics that that talk show host could decided to host that day, they decided to do a topic on a debate over evolution and design. 
And then at some point they sent out a request to individuals to participate and those individuals responded and accepted and plans were made and the debate was put out on the radio show schedule. And as the date drew near, they probably corresponded again and confirmed the deadlines and people bought plane tickets and showed up. And all of these things occurred in a series of steps that were taken by intelligent agents. And at each point along the way, at each decision node, I'll call it, there was a collapsing of the probabilities. And this is a perfect example of what design does, what intelligent agents do. They take probabilities and take something that's improbable and turn it into the probable and eventually into the certain as they move toward a particular outcome. So contrary to what the critic was saying on that particular debate, it was not an example of a natural process that occurred without intelligent intervention. In fact, at every step of the way, there was an intelligent decision made by an intelligent agent to move toward the point where they ultimately had the talk show occur. So it's a beautiful example of how design can collapse probabilities into something that becomes probable and then certain. And I just love that example because it shows the inadvertent attempt sometimes to say, well, improbable things happen, but then we look at it and it actually happens to be an example of design. Barra's Blunder, another famous example where uh, Tim Barra, I believe it was, talked about the quote-unquote evolution of car model designs over the years and how I have a particular model and then the next year the model's a little different and the next year it's a little different and eventually we come up with a model that's quite different. And uh, Philip Johnson pointed out, well, that's not a Darwinian process at all. That was a design process and a term that particular item bears blunder with. But that's a fun example of something put forward as an example of a Darwinian process when it was really an example of design. That's a really good example. Now, what about, obviously, an improbable event that clearly was not produced by an intelligent agent collapsing probabilities? I mean, you're, you're driving to work, and a meteorite falls from the sky and crashes right through the center of your car engine block, all right? I mean, that's a very improbable event. So how does intelligent design interface with an event like that? Exactly. That's, that's a good question. So the second part of the problem with the improbable things happen all the time line of argumentation is that, yes, improbable things do happen all the time. We, we don't deny that, but they don't have any independent meaning in many cases. And that's the whole point of Dembski's concept of complex specified information or Behe's irreducible complexity. There's a function, there's a meaning, that's the specification that we're talking about for purposes of intelligent design. And both of those criteria have to be met, not just the improbability, but the specification. And if either is absent, we don't infer design. Now, it might be that something is still designed, but we're willing to give up some false negatives in order to have the added certainty of being able to draw a valid scientifically based design inference without false positives. That's a crucial point you just made, Eric, because sometimes people will say, well, isn't intelligent design going to sometimes miss things that really were designed if we infer that they were natural causes because we're being very conservative and cautious in how we infer design? And the answer is yes, that is absolutely true. But if you have to worry about the problem of false positives or false negatives, I would much rather worry about false negatives because that shows that you are absolutely confident in the cases where you are inferring design and you're actually being very careful, being very cautious like a scientist and nobody can blame you for being too sort of flagrant or flippant about the way that you're dealing with intelligent design. So I really like the way you framed that there. Yeah, that's a really critical point. And back to your other question, let me just add a couple of specific examples. In debating folks, I've run across people who bring up something like Saturn's rings and say, well, it, 
look at all of the rocks and the ice and the dust and the various sizes and shapes and trajectories of all of these particles, this is wildly improbable if we were to look at this configuration. But again, there's no meaning or information inherent in something like Saturn's rings. And it's a very interesting topic that we probably should discuss another time, but a very interesting question as to whether physical objects contain information in and of themselves. But as we look at Saturn's rings, there's no particular function or meaning or specification that would come out. There was another fellow that brought up an example recently on Uncommon Descent, talking about snowflakes and a snowstorm. And if you look at each snowflake and all the snowflakes within that snowstorm, it's a highly improbable arrangement. And again, the answer to that is yes, that's true. It's highly improbable. But that doesn't do anything against the design inference because it would not be flagged as designed. There's no specification. There's no representation. There's no function. There's no meaning. And so it doesn't at all impact the design inference. So what I would say is intelligent design does not ignore the fact that improbable things happen all the time. Indeed, intelligent design acknowledges the reality of improbable events in the world and builds upon that reality, takes it into account. And that's the whole point of the specification criterion. So to boil it down here, Eric, intelligent design does not argue that every improbable event or every improbable arrangement of matter was brought about by an intelligent cause, but only some of them were. Exactly. And that's the point of the specification criterion to distinguish. Okay. Well, this is a really helpful conversation, Eric. I hope that this helps some of our listeners to better understand how intelligent design proponents infer design and why sometimes we do infer design and other times we don't. And I know this is a topic that gets discussed quite a bit over at Uncommon Descent. And I would encourage our listeners to go check out the blog, Uncommon Descent. That's uncommon. And the last word is spelled D-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. So descent like you're going down into something. So uncommondescent.com. Any other last words you'd like to leave our listeners with, Eric? No, I would just add that when we look into some of these arguments, this is just one example of an argument that we've analyzed today. But when we have critics put forward arguments against intelligent design, what I've typically noticed and found upon closer scrutiny is that when you parse through it, you find that it actually underscores the validity of the approach that's been taken by the major proponents of intelligent design in formulating a careful approach to design detection. I have found that too. I think that's a good point. A lot of times what you find is if if somebody were to go back and read Dembski's work or Mike Behe's work or Steve Meyer's work, they're going to find that these objections have been thought of before, actually, and they've been dealt with. And ID is actually pretty well put together theory. I'm sure it still needs refining, but overall, it seems pretty robust to standing up in the face of many common objections. So thank you so much, Eric Anderson, for coming on ID of the Future. I'm Casey Luskin. Thanks for listening. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute 2015. For more information, visit www.intelligentdesign.org or www.idthefuture.com.